0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HBR Minute HCI podcast episode, I explore the recent HBR video, Disruptive Innovation Explained. Welcome back to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. It's great to be with you again today for this HBR Minute HCI podcast episode. Today I'll be exploring the HBR video, Disruptive Innovation Explained. Clay Christensen, Harvard Business School professor and the world's most influential management guru, according to Thinkers50, lays out his landmark theory. Thanks for joining me and I'll catch you on the flip side of this first clip.
1: Hello, I'm Des Deerlove. Welcome to The Idea. My guest today is Professor Clayton Christensen. Clay, welcome.
0: Thanks, Des.
1: What exactly is disruptive innovation? Explain it.
2: Disruptive innovation is not a breakthrough innovation that makes uh, good products a lot better. But it it has a very specific definition, and that is it transforms a product that historically was so expensive and uh, complicated that only a few people with a lot of money and a lot of skill had access to it a disruptive innovation makes it so more so much more affordable and accessible that a much larger population have access to it
1: so give us an example of this i mean most people are familiar with the computer industry and how that's developed perhaps you can use that as an example
2: yeah so at the beginning the the first manifestation of digital technology was a mainframe computer it cost several million dollars to buy and it took years to be trained to operate these things and so that meant that the largest corporations and the largest universities could have one you know and so we had to take our problem to the center where the experts solved it for us but then there's a sequence of innovations from the mainframe to a mini to a desktop to a laptop and now to a smartphone that is democratized technology to the point that everybody has access to it around the world and we are much better off. It was very hard though for the pioneers of the industry to catch these new waves. Most of those were uh, created and dominated by new companies.
0: So I think it's important to, to really establish as we get started talking about this video that the theory of disruptive innovation as laid out by Clay Christensen, and which he'll describe in this video, is different than what we commonly talk about in terms of disruptive technologies. Now, there is some overlap, but I hear people talking about disruptive technologies. In fact, I I probably do it as well, much more broadly outside of the definition uh, from what Clay Christensen actually meant when he was writing up this theory and as it's gained traction over the years. So in this video, we're going to zoom in and a little bit more precisely define what disruptive innovation is. Now, later, we can talk a little bit about what that means for this broader discussion of disruptive technologies and the future of work. But it's it's very important to just understand the basic premise of the general theory and how that can inform the way we look at the world and prepare for the future. So the idea of disruptive innovation is that we're going to make something more accessible and available for lower cost with vastly improved service to the masses, that we can bring a technology that previously was only for the elite, for the select few, in part due to cost, but in part due to complicated processes and and difficulty for usage, now everyone can use it. And as we think back throughout history, we can think of many of these types of disruptive uh, innovations that have completely upended markets and shifted the way we think about certain types of products uh, and even the nature of work. Sometimes, and I've done this myself on this podcast, sometimes we talk about disruptive technologies more generally and how they fit into the different iterations of the Industrial Revolution. And that's a little bit more of a broad kind of an approach, uh, a little bit different than the more specific definition that Clay is providing with his more specific disruptive innovation theory.
1: And, that, and then you're touching on that gives rise to, this process gives rise to the innovator's di- dilemma, which was the title of, of your 1997 book. Yeah,
0: that's right.
1: And But how how do people get around that? I mean, that dilemma, can you explain the dilemma itself to us?
2: Yeah, so the dilemma is... In in every company, every day, every year, people are going into senior management knocking on the door saying, I got a new product for us. And some of those entail making better products that you could sell for higher prices to your best customers. A disruptive innovation generally has to cause you to go after new markets, people who aren't your customers. And uh, and the product that you want to sell them Is something that is just so much more affordable and simple that your your current customers can't buy it you know and so the choice that you have to make is should we make better products that we could sell for better profits to our best customers or maybe we ought to make worse products that none of our customers would buy that would ruin our margins what should we do and that really is the dilemma it was the dilemma that General Motors and Ford faced when they tried to decide, should we go down and compete against Toyota who came in at the bottom? Or should we make even bigger SUVs for even bigger people? And now Toyota has the same problem, as Korea, the Koreans in Hyundai and Kia have really won the low end of the market from Toyota. And it's not because Toyota's asleep at the switch. But why would they ever invest to defend the lowest profit part of their market, which is the subcompacts, when they have the privilege of competing against Mercedes. You know? and, and then Cherry is coming from China doing the same thing to the Koreans.
0: In this clip, he talked more specifically about the innovators dilemma. So if we think about disruptive innovation and what drives it, what we see most often is that you have outsiders in the industry. You have new startups, you have new innovators that come on the scene, make a splash, and they introduce a new product or service to the market that is a disruptive innovation. It completely upends the way things were done before because it provides more accessibility of you know, a certain technology to the masses for much cheaper the innovator's dilemma comes about because an established company with market share who has loyal customers and they can sell expensive products to those customers, they're incentivized to come up with upgrades to those expensive projects to increase their margins. They are not incentivized to provide cheaper, more accessible, user-friendly products for much lower margins. Because of that disincentive, you have the innovators dilemma and some of the most innovative companies, the largest uh, companies, they tend to not be the ones to come up with these new disruptive innovations. It's usually, again, these outside startups that come in and they disrupt the space. The interesting thing is it doesn't need to be that way. If organizations and leaders can think about the uh, the market a little bit differently and if if uh, if you can think about... Your competition a little bit differently, you can embrace moving down towards the bottom and reaching more customers in new markets for lower margins, but providing tremendous value through really great technologies. That's what many of these disruptors do. And if these large organizations want to maintain market share and they want to maintain relevance once these new disruptive innovations come about, they have to play that game. They have to be part of that process. And it's, it's just simply not the way that large organizations often work.
1: So one of the things I really like about your, your ideas is that they really do ha- have had an impact out there. I mean, some of this thinking has, without question, influenced a whole generation of managers, including people like Steve Jobs you're referenced in the biography that he that he read the book and was very influenced by the book and possibly Apple One and Apple Two are you know him resolving the innovators dilemma yeah. but also Andy Grove at Intel you had a you had a contact with him
2: yeah yeah it's uh I never imagined that I could ever meet these people you know let alone be just as having help them but I, I taught I learned a lot from Andy Grove so what happened was I was just at HBS m- minding my own business. And uh, Intel uh, Andy Grove called me just out of the blue and said, look, I'm a busy man, I don't have time to read drivel from academics, you know, but somebody told me you had this theory. And I wondered if you could come out and present what you're learning to me and my staff, uh, and then tell us what it apl- how it applies to Intel. And for me it was a chance of a lifetime. So I flew out there and uh, it turned out Andy was, he's quite a gruff man, and he said, you know, stuff's happened to us. Uh, We only have 10 minutes for you. So just tell us what it means for Intel. And I said, Andy, I can't because I have no opinion about Intel, but the theory has an opinion. And so I have to describe the theory. So he sat back impatiently. And 10 minutes into it, he chucked me off and he said, look, I got your stupid theory. Tell us what it means for Intel. And he got what he got, and he really did get it. You know. And I said, Andy, I, I, I need f- five more minutes because i got to describe how this process of disruption worked its way through a totally different industry just so you can visualize what can happen to Intel. So I described how the mini-mills came in to the steel market at rebar and then went up market. When I was done with that Grove said, "Oh, I get it. So what you're telling me it, it means for Intel is and he described how they had two companies coming at them from below and Intel needs to go down and and not let them go up against us." And it was very successful.
0: I really like this Intel example. He goes in, this is a young Clay Christensen, years and years ago, decades ago. He goes in to Intel and he describes his theory. And here he has the CEO wanting to know, you know, not really caring about the academic mumbo jumbo, not caring about the theory, just wanting to get to the nitty gritty of like application. What does this mean for Intel? And Clay walks him through not what it means for Intel, but what it meant for another industry, completely different from the tech industry, and with the hope that uh, that the Intel CEO could learn some lessons and be able to come to some conclusions about what it meant for Intel. A really great process uh, to go through with a client, but also uh, it really speaks to this innovator's dilemma because Intel was in this space feeling a lot of pressure and they weren't incentivized to go down to reach a wider, broader customer base with lower margins uh, to, to address some of these new, new competitors in the space. That wasn't their inclination, but they felt the pressure. And through Clay's conversation with them, they were able to understand what the innovator's dilemma and what disruptive innovation could mean for Intel if they couldn't pivot and approach uh, their business with that kind of a mindset uh, at the forefront. If
2: I'd have been suckered into telling Andy Grove what he should do, I'd have been killed because he knew so much more about microprocessors than I ever would know. But rather than telling him what to think, I taught him how to think and he could reach the, his own conclusions. And that changed the way I teach, it's, it changed the way I talk. And the, the, the insight is that, you know, for whatever reason, the way they designed the world, data is only available about the past. And when we teach people that they should be data-driven and fact-based and analytical as they look into the future, In many ways, we condemn them to take action when the game is over. The only way you can look into the future, there's no data. So you have to have a good theory. And we don't think about it. But every time we're taking an action, it's predicated upon a theory. And so by teaching managers to look through the lens of a theory into the future, you can actually see the future very clearly. And Again, I think that's what, I think that's what um, the, the theory of disruption has done.
1: Clay well, Christian, thank you very much for talking to us.
2: Oh, thanks for taking the time to ask such great questions.
0: Rather than telling him what to think, he taught him how to think. This is such a powerful concept. Now, this is a little bit disconnected from the overall, the main purpose of this video, but this is a really important life lesson Uh, For leaders out there, for coaches and consultants out there, for anyone wanting to influence others around them, if you just are the one with the expertise and you come in and you just tell people what to do, uh, that has very limited impact. But if you, rather than telling people what you think, you can walk them through the process, help them to understand theory, help them understand the application, and then teach them how to think So they can come up with the solutions that is far more powerful. So that's a general really important lesson uh, that he conveys in this clip. And I've seen that play out in my life, in my professional life, many, many times. And I agree. I I think uh, I've been very fortunate because I've taken that approach in uh, certain situations where if I had just come in with my credentials, my expertise, my degrees, and just said, here's what you should do. Uh, They might have listened for a little while, but then nothing would have happened. They wouldn't have implemented it. They certainly wouldn't have have sustained whatever change initiative they were trying to go about doing. But because I was able to help them, walk them through the process, help them through guiding, asking guiding questions, help them to think, uh, to learn how to think about the issues in a compelling way so that they could come up with their own solutions, it, it derived much better outcomes for the organization. A, a really important lesson we should all learn. Now coming back to disruptive innovation and the innovator's dilemma, what he was able to do through this process is, is meet with Andy Groh, CEO of Intel, help him learn how to, to use this theory, apply it to the Intel situation, and then come up with uh, solutions and and action items, uh a strategy and plan to go about trying to deal with competitors in their space, so that they wouldn't just be disrupted by new entrants to the market and new technologies that were cheaper that would allow more uh, accessibility to the products to a more uh, mass audience, more uh, a general uh, consumer base. Ultimately, we see this play out throughout the world over and over and over again. Tech is, of course, a, a hot topic, and we talk about it within the tech space all the time. Certainly, disruptive innovations occur within the tech space often. Uh, certainly, certainly, in the last couple of decades, we've just seen a, a proliferation of these types of disruptive technologies. Uh, computing power, processing speed uh, continues to increase exponentially cost of storage and memory continues to decrease almost exponentially and the result is just more access to more people with more powerful products uh, over the years. It's really Mm -hmm. interesting to think what this will mean for the future. Towards the end of that clip Clay mentioned something very important and that is that we you know an evidence-based approach using metrics that's that's valuable. Uh, I advocate for that all the time. I, I, In fact, I just released an episode the other day where I specifically was advocating for a more evidence-based, metrics-based approach to diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm a believer in that, but he points something out that is also important to realize, that data can only tell us about the past. It can't tell us about the future. It can show us trends from the past that we can assume might move forward into the future, but truly we can't know what that's going to mean for the future. But we can use evidence-based approaches and metrics to try to understand those trends to develop meaningful theories about the future that we can use to guide our thinking, our strategic processes, and ultimately help us to face an uncertain future with more clear-eyed vision and, and the ability to address these disruptions that we see in the marketplace. I am really grateful for Clay Christensen for his many theories, his really great books. He passed away about a year and a half ago. Um, I I never met the man in person, but I've always considered him a mentor and a personal hero. Uh, He was such a humble man, uh, even though he had such a huge impact in the world of business, both academically but also um, in, in the practitioner world of business. I think we'd all do well to check out his books, uh, not just about disruptive innovation. He has many other great books. And ultimately, uh, there's, there's much we can learn from him and his wisdom. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. As always, I hope you can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you have a great week.